0: And now. Hollywood Prospectus. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your
1: applause. Yeah. Oh, hello. Welcome to the Hollywood Prospectus Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for Grantland.com, and on the other line, mm. he just completed a fearless and searching moral
0: inventory.
1: It's Andy Greenwald!
0: I did. I do every day. It's like backing up my files. Yeah, you just uh, go down to your ev- evidence locker. <laughs> I, I say, who's offending me, who isn't, and then I figure it out, and I move about my day.
1: Andy, what's up, man? We are going to get to True Detective eventually. We're also going to talk about Ant-Man. Uh, the first television show we are going to talk about is actually yeah. the best television show on television. It's called Mr. Rose robot uh, at the moment
0: okay yeah how was your weekend I, I know you're just asking to deflect because you want to talk about your <laughs> is weekend is that the best
1: time is I, when you say like hey what do you think of this but
0: really i just want you to ask me you what were, you, you were like hey hey how was your weekend you were <laughs> leaping out of the seat you were so excited to tell me i went to the beach you tell me about your weekend?
1: i went to the magic castle i saw a man <laughs> produce a poodle out of three doves and then i also saw a magic show
0: <laughs> that's right you were just hanging out on uh, fairfax and
1: no, I went to this yeah. place called the Magic Castle. It's uh, in Hollywood. It is literally a castle. You just drive up and all manner of magic is performed in front of you while you have like a, a nice uh, makers and soda,
0: you know? Let's, let's, let's hit the pause button for a second. Okay. Where, where do you stand on magic?
1: You know, I, was, I would say ambivalent about it. I mean, like, not even ambivalent. I just, it's not an important part of my life.
0: So you're not like Neil Patrick Harris is what you're saying?
1: No, although he does have a drink named after him at the Magic Castle that dude loves magic. Yeah. Like,
0: that's one of the things that he's really into.
1: But are you into card tricks? No. No, okay, so there were some card tricks. Uh, I
0: mean, I, we don't need to end the conversation there. <laughs> Sell me on it. There Romance were some card me. tricks. There was like a a uh-huh. lot of, I
1: mean, there was just a lot of action, but it really
0: peaked at the end. Um, Wait, so, so is it like sleep no more like you go into a castle and magic jumps out yeah at you? you go in a castle you, sit, you get a drink there's a
1: guy doing card tricks you go upstairs there's a couple is, more is, is that guy an
0: employee is he an independent I contractor i think there are magicians the... who,
1: pa- who who pass through
0: what, what is there like a guild
1: this is really yeah absolutely there's a guild i think i mean there's it's, it's the academy of like magical arts and like i think a lot of people like some people are like tonight joe magic who's passing through
0: from macau you all, know like first of all that's a, that, that's kind of an on-the-nose name for a magician there was a
1: dude named joe magic Really? Yeah.
0: I and he did a thing where the he, like, tore some cards our right up now. into,
1: like, all these little pieces and then went, like, splat out and it came back as one card.
0: I guess he <laughs> earned his, his, his name. I, I can mean, tell
1: you're not excited by this. Let me just say that you have not lived I, I until you weird. see a dude take more. a bunch of silk scarves and turn mm. it into a beautiful multicolored macaw. Macau?
0: macau? It, that took a turn, <laughs> that sentence. It, it got macabre? No, I mean, like the bird. <laughs> He made a bird, yeah, like 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 he made cloth yeah. origami, no, he or like did, literally, he had a these bird?
1: scarves, and he's this dude named Dan something who does uh was a- it
0: Dan magic, he wait. <laughs> It's everyone who works there. They're all of their last names magic. Yeah,
1: no, it's, it's it sucks because when they're like magic to the floor, every like all these guys get
0: up and say, me. Um, is it Magic Castle in the same way it's Hearst Castle in that a no, man? No, it's named the Hurst Magic Hurst Castle. I don't
1: there. really appreciate you being cynical about this because I'm <laughs> this trying to tell know. you is that beasts of the wild were conjured out of thin air in front of my eyes, and Couple that questions. I I've, I'm changed.
0: What was in the drink that you had again? <laughs> it, was just, it was just bourbon and ginger ale. Just bourbon and ginger ale and roofies. <laughs> yeah. just, just a classic cocktail called the Neil Patrick Harris.
1: Well, that, that segues nicely to our, our <laughs> first Wait. subject. Do, do you have something to... else to ask me? I feel like I you. do. Yeah. What did he do with the bird once it was in the bar with you? He was like, boom, birds in the building. And people really freaked out. It was like seeing Los Crudos in
0: a basement show in like 1996. <laughs> it was but, just like, I the thought thing. there you was going to be a pit. You can produce. A punk band on stage, and then the punk band's like, that was a good show, punk lives, and they take that stuff into a lot of punk shows, and they t- when Joe Punk and his band play, and they take off their instruments, and they go home, but if you pr- produce a wild bird in a closed environment, yeah. what do you-, you can't control that, what do you do with the bird? I don't know, you he just like, walked the scars. bird over to an
1: assistant on the side of the stage and was just like, I'm the man, and then after, when we were leaving, we were waiting at the valet, I saw him, he had been dressed like a male figure skater, but then I saw him, this guy getting into the, a white van. And he I mean, had the poodle that he had produced out of the doves.
0: Wait, he turned the bird okay, into a so dog? so he's like
1: messing around with a bunch of napkins and then, poof, a bunch of doves come out of that. And then he's playing with the doves and, poof, a poodle appears out of where the doves were.
0: So when you saw him after the show, was he covered with deep bird beat gouges? <laughs> like, like he... I think the, the bird
1: they, they were very complicit in the activity.
0: I wouldn't... If if he could just turn things into other things, I would definitely just for safety's sake turn them back into scarves at the end of the night. Yeah, I know. Seriously, easier to pack. <laughs> Who else was in the castle? Then I'll leave you alone. Like this is interesting to me. Who else was there? Like, uh, like was it crowded? Yeah, would, how I think you they have a very well managed
1: in certain terms of capacity. I saw a couple of of minor celebs there, but like you know, it was it was couples.
0: My. How minor
1: i, I mean, don't want to blow up their spots by being like oh i saw you it's like one thing to be like anna Gunn was online at sky star uh, arc light it's another thing to be like homie was up in the magic spot
0: because you think there's a shame affiliated yeah. with being so no
1: but so it's like i, I bet magic. they went to the magic spot to just see some magic to, not to get to blown up themselves? on the
0: hollywood prospectus podcast since considering this is now grantland's leading podcast about magic <laughs> and its aficionados where Jeez, does go from obviously here? have not been listening to maze and barnwell this summer It's <laughs> yeah, a good point <laughs> Where does this go from here? Where, where does Chris Ryan magic fan go next?
1: Um, I think I'll definitely be swinging back through Magic Castle on a seasonal basis. Cause I wanna, You're into this. this yeah, is I want to let this them. I want to have like a natural cycle of magicians come through and leave and maybe get some different ones. Because I can tell there are a lot of like repeated beats. I'm really sorry to do this to people. We've been talking about magic for a while. But like no. so a dude comes out and he's just like for card tricks, right? He's just like there's either like the card you thought was there is actually over here. And right. then there's a card that is either ancient Egyptian or ancient Chinese, and it's basically the same thing. as like the card you thought was there is over here now. And then there's right. a bit with rings, usually, you know, like putting the rings inside of each other. And then, By like, the way, the, I
0: hope you're watching this on YouTube, fans, because the Ledger Domain being exhibited by Chris <laughs> Ryan right now. I was, like, I was dazzled. Um, it anyway, it was uh, an exciting evening. Um, uh, here's what I like about you, Chris. This is going to segue. I've always really appreciated this. People may think of you as, you know, sometimes a, a crustier sort, you know? You, no, they don't. You've They definitely don't think of me as the crusty one. <laughs> I'm sorry to break it to you. Sort of a jaded guy in a lot of ways. But you've never lost the ability to be delighted. Yeah, you, you know absolutely. Like, like at Halloween, you and your girlfriend, like, nothing more than, like, hop on a haunted hayride and be chased by zombies. Yeah. Like you like those things. Oh, do you I definitely go like being things? scared by stuff, yeah.
1: Or even just, like, watching the mechanics of fear.
0: <laughs> the McC- okay, now you sound like a, like a myrrh. Now you sound like a guy who wears a bird mask and hangs out in West Hollywood shooting people in the chest. Okay, we're going to pin that this. on me. There's
1: nothing in those bullets.
0: There was nothing in those bullets. No, he was fine. All this not, owl you, dander was...
1: I have on me is just it's totally <laughs>
0: circumstantial. Just covered with poodle fur at the end of the night, getting, out, getting dropped off of your place out of a white van. If you're ever in Los Angeles, I recommend it. <laughs> Getting getting into a white van with a guy with poodles, yeah. definitely not In the Von's parking lot. Joe Magic, <laughs> um, Andy. Yeah. Let's talk about Mister Robot.
1: Sorry, guys. Yeah, let's talk about real delight and wonder. Um, for a while now, we've been, um, I guess you could say, uh, giving giving like you know the prime real estate to True Detective, as as usually like a Sunday night show gets on this show. And it's not like we we're not kingmakers here, man. We know what our no, We know what we do. We just talk just about humble, television. Humble magic. Friends. But I feel like just symbolically, even though it's truly coming after a 10-minute segment on magic, um <laughs> we should elevate Mr. Robot to the number to the 1A slot, right? That, this because is show, yeah. this is this is the best show on television.
0: I I don't know if I'm there with you on that, but I think it's the most fun, the most What's interesting, better than the most this unique right now? show. Well, like what? What are people enjoying more? No, like, what are I, you enjoying more? What's like? Come on, be honest. I'm enjoying. I'm, I'm. 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 in my happy place this summer. I'm enjoying a lot of things this summer. I'm enjoying TV shows. Like I'm. It's there are a lot of good things to watch. We talked about them on the show. Like, so like you're Do- more into like the halt people being like
1: I need more bandwidth.
0: Deutschland Do- <laughs> '83. By the way, bandwidth hot topic on True Detective last night. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah was. No, I like Deutschland. <laughs> I like humans. I like Halt and Catch Fire. I like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I mean, there's good stuff, but I think. I agree, I agree with you that that Mr. Robot is the show that people seem super enthusiastic about. Well, okay, so let me rephrase a lot of fun that. to talk about, and that's our new that has that, got the number one spot right I now. I
1: can uh, I can rephrase that from best. I will say that it is the most confident show on television right now.
0: Yeah, he, I mean, here's why we want to talk about it. It's the same reason why I want people to watch this show because it is operating at a level of just yeah, confidence of of artistry of ego. Of Tell swagger him, This is
1: what you texted me After I watched the fourth episode This weekend I texted you And I was just like Wow And you wrote back Either the The network yeah. e- Gave him no notes Or he just gave He just did not give a
0: well, I said he gave zero. It was for the symmetry. Sure. I said he gave zero Fs. So your text
1: messages. I'm sorry for ruining the poem. Can we, can,
0: we, can, we, can we run that back? <laughs> yeah. Carlos,
1: let's cancel the entire be, pod.
0: Because I compose. <laughs> because
1: I have 10 more text. minutes of magic to do anyway. So we'll that's just right. start. You've yeah. got to get your fingers nimble.
0: Um, uh, yes. I, that, that's right. That's right. It, it is.
1: And when we say he, we're talking t- about Sam Esmail, who's so So let, let, let's let run show. it back.
0: So we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, I, I think people have checked it out. I hope they've checked it out. I, I have not spoken to anyone who has gone through the first episode and not wanted to immediately see all the rest of the episodes? Yeah. Um, the thing that was interesting about the first episode was that it felt, n- it certainly, it, it's not just that it didn't feel like anything else on USA, which is coming off a run of blue sky programming, mm-hmm. um, you know, burn notice, sunglasses, smiles, easy resolution, easy pick it up at any point, no need to get bogged down in the weight of it. Um, it's that it doesn't seem or feel like anything on TV at all. And so we talked about at the very beginning, this is because Sam Esmael is an indie filmmaker and probably goes on the wall for not only getting the show on the air but also dating Amy Rossum. (laughs) Uh, He made this, he wrote the script as a movie, an independent movie, so he had a beginning, middle, and end and a tone in mind. He then was convinced by his managers and anonymous content that instead of cutting the script, which was too long and didn't want to do that, maybe he could make it a TV show. And from all the interviews we've seen with him, basically made no changes yeah and operated as if he was just going to tell his story his way as long as it took going to the place he wanted to take it and that is what immediately set the show apart it the first episode it was the visual palette and maybe the kind of pretty strident anti-capitalism running through a show made by the NBC Universal Comcast Shine Heart Wig Company <laughs> um that was pretty breathtaking, but as the show has gone on, and the guy whose name I'm not going to even try to remember to say, the guy who directed Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, the, the original Swedish version, uh, his visual template was amazing in the pilot. But since then, it's... it's Let's maybe just call him Backstrom. <laughs> Let's call him Backstrom. <laughs> maybe ever since Backstrom departed or went back across the ocean, the visual palette has maybe toned down a little bit. But the... Just the the, the trippiness and yeah. the, the, the confidence has not gone down one iota. So... Let's talk about the fourth episode. Let's yeah. talk so, about what was definitely the strangest episode to date. This
1: series was sort of like, on, in the third episode, um, so just so people understand, this is about um, a kid named Elliot, a guy named Elliot, a genius hacker, who also day does does his daytime hours at a uh, internet security firm. So it's got a little bit of that like Neo Matrix setup where you've got a guy who is at once working at a software company, but at the, at, during the night is a sort of a vigilante exposing people who need to yeah. be exposed. The- um, Theoretically,
0: he's working to protect the secrets and assets of a company that he calls Evil Corp. Uh, but at night, he is essentially trying right. to tear down the foundation <clears> of <throat> society. And that it's allows important you to, to note resist. that
1: Elliot has a bunch of, like, rules that he sort of abides by both for the hacking he does, but also for his uh, burgeoning drug addiction that he has to morphine, which is, you know, he does a little bit of morphine, and then he does the drug that you're supposed to take to sort of help wean yourself off of morphine. S- suboxone. Yeah, not that we're suggesting people experiment with these things. And uh, so this... Way, as the season has gone on, Elliot's gotten deeper and deep more more, more deeply in, uh, involved with a collective called F Society, which are aiming to bring down this sort of uh, mega corp called Evil Corp. Um, mm-hmm. And you know we've got we've met a co- bunch of different people, and it's there's a Christian Slater character who is the, the nominal um, Mr. Robot, who Say may titular. or may not. Agree,
0: I love saying titular.
1: Who, who, as anybody who's watched the show, I'm sure has jumped to the conclusion that this may be a Tyler Durden situation, as there have been a couple of winking nods to uh, whether or not he is actually in the room when he is talking.
0: No one else has ever really looked at him. He's never spoken to anyone else. Right. Uh, this week took it a step further. Um, took it a lot of steps further. One thing that I noted, I haven't seen a lot of people covering, was that in, after the first two weeks of the show, I was talking to uh, Alan Steppenwall, uh, G-chatting with him, TV critic for HitFix, about the show. We both really liked it, and we were talking about whether we thought the Christian Slater character was real or not. And not just Fight Club, he mentioned a really, really great comic book called um, Planetary, which was by uh, a writer named Warren Ellis and an artist named John Cassidy. And it was it's basically about a secret society and there is a big twist about the identity of the person they thought they were dealing with or working with. And he used that as an example that could support what Mr. Robot was doing. Right. So well, that's a pretty esoteric reference. This week, in the fourth episode, when Elliot walked into the arcade looking for Christian Slater's character... Right. Everybody he passed, looks at him. He passed an arcade box, an arcade machine, and the video game was called Planetary. Okay which I thought was pretty interesting, pretty specific, probably not a coincidence, and kind of evidence that, again, Sam Esmail is working with a very specific set of references. Yeah,
1: and I think that um, I would say that the the writing is good and the, and the plotting is tight and it's an interesting story, but the thing that also uh, elevates it to a sort of... Dizzying level is the direction and the camera work and the framing and the sound and the music and everything else that's going on outside of the story. So he's not yeah. only a good writer, but he's an excellent showrunner because they've got the complete package here from performances to the music they choose to put over it. You know, um, I think that this episode just kind of like took a leap. Like, I, I'm not actually a big dream sequence guy. I'm not like super, like, I'm always just like, I'm never like, oh, great, a Molly scene where somebody's going to like. But there was something about this episode that actually recaptured um, something that I've been writing about a lot with True Detective, but it recaptured that sense of adventure that the first season of True Detective had, that the best television has, where you don't know. It's not about like, oh, it's such a twist or such a a complete surprise, but it actually feels like you are watching something grow in front of you.
0: Yes, and I think that the, the, the True Detective analogy is really accurate in this case, and it's something we talked about in relation to that show. It's something we talk about when we're talking about the, the crime novels we really love. Mm-hmm. Plot isn't as important, I think, as people make it out to be. What's actually going on in Mr. Robot, like the business they're doing that's fueling the season, is kind of nonsense in the same way that what's going on in True Detective. I think it's self nonsense. But this is where I'm going with it, because yeah. True Detective – you know, the, the the poker game in Vinci and the high-speed rail high speed rail line and Caesar the hookers. <laughs> and the, yeah, all of that is kind of, it's high nonsense. Yeah. Similarly, you know, going to a, a server bank in the Adirondacks and blowing it up to release student loan debt to evil, whatever, that's high nonsense. Yeah. What matters is how invested you are in the way they go about engaging with the nonsense. You We immediately care about these characters, so much so that, only in the fourth episode, the major B story was two, two, yeah, two of uh, Elliot's female friends uh, doing Molly and hanging out in club bathroom all night talking about truth. Yeah, and these are secondary characters doing something that I don't think is that related to the show. Although the show is pretty into drugs, uh, and it was entertaining and it all felt of a piece because he's able to keep it, his hand on the on the wheel to just the sense that we're going somewhere it doesn't matter if we're going somewhere that makes sense it just matters that we're going somewhere in style and with some level of humanity
1: yeah so i completely agree with you and speaking of the humanity i think that that's something that often gets lost in like what we're we're so concerned with the narrative construction that happens in television shows and like whether or not like how whether things make sense or whether things are plausible or whether things are you know Mm -hmm. compelling story story beats and this is, the show's kind of doing away with all that. Like, the mountain that they're going to is called Steel Mountain. The bad corporation is called Evil Corp. You know, like, Elliot right, is just, it, the the guy who Elliot may or may not be working for is called Mr. Robot. I mean, now, we just...
0: Os- ostensibly, we're in his head and his point of view and well, those is the aren't thing. the real names. The,
1: the great divide between written... Literature and 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 television and and film is that you can't truly understand what's how somebody is seeing the world and you can't go inside of their head and feel their thought and understand mm-hmm. their thoughts that the the interior monologue that you can experience when you're reading a book is always going to be somehow more thoughtful than what you would see on a screen no matter how compelling what you see on a screen is and I'm not saying that True Robot or Mr Robot is uh, in any way like revolutionary I, I,
0: would, I would watch True Robot I
1: would watch True Robot as well. But I do think that this is a, this television show is very much lar- is largely about like what is going on inside of Elliot's head. Yeah, and, like and, inside and, his head, not in, on, not in the world, not on hack, no, not it, hacking. This and, is a that, probably mentally ill person who is doing a lot of morphine, and this is what the world looks like to him.
0: And I don't think a show has ever successfully done this before. I think we've had um, a generation of TV shows that are you know the difficult men shows where it sort of took us into the orbit. Of, of your Tony Sopranos, of your Walter Whites, of your Don Drapers we, so we could sort of humanize or contextualize their behavior in ways that maybe surprised us or challenged the audience. So, yeah. Okay, Tony Soprano is a murderer, a mobster um, and a monster in many ways, but we know him so intimately that we can in some level, I don't know if we can relate or empathize but we can understand. And but we never went all the way inside of his head because that is a feat of of narrative daring, of storytelling storytelling risk. But also, it's formally very hard, right? Because yeah. the show has to depend on other characters, other perspectives. You have to have B story, which is what I was, you know, which what we had with um, with with Shayla uh, his, and Angela, yeah. Shayla and Angela, that's their names, yeah. Which we had last night, and this ties into I think the bigger point that we're excited about with the show, which is this is really high wire acrobat stuff uh the show's already been renewed for a second season which is great we were excited for more Um, but he's really working without a net here by insisting on doing things his way this is sam smyle i'm talking about and staying true to whatever he felt was important in terms of his story by staying inside of elliot's head and his perspective by linking us so closely to it even though it might not be trustworthy or even accurate i don't know how you stretch that you know, well, a show has never done this, and I don't know if it could do it for two seasons. I don't know if you can stretch the Tyler Durdenness past that. I don't know if you want to. But here's what's exciting. We're going to find out. Like, this is really thrilling about TV in a way that, that it rarely is, but it should be more, which is, okay, we know how it usually works. Here is a guy in a network and a show willing to try it the other way, and we're going to find out. And, and no one is rooting for him to fail. We kind of want him to succeed, and it's pretty thrilling. It was. It's, it, one of
1: the first scenes of this series it involves Elliot... Um, confronting a guy who owns a coffee shop on the child pornography I think he has on his computer, right? Was it child pornography? Yeah. And um, I felt like in that five minute sequence was the serialized version of this show or the episodic version exactly of this show. exactly so basically every week elliot goes and confronts another bad person about what they've been doing and somehow gets justice without actually hurting anybody and right the that, wrongs that's,
0: that's the usa week to and week then there's
1: like a kind of underneath all of that overarching serialized plot about maybe this mr robot person and they could have they could have really Parsed how much Slater we got. They could have had him show up here and there, but they have, like, gone full speed ahead. And you've often talked about this in your writing about basically, like, how much gas somebody gives the engine of a show. Right. You know, how... F- do you do you go all in immediately? And you've talked about a, a series of, sh- of showrunners who were like, look, I don't leave any ideas on the table. I never save anything for next season, for two seasons from now. Yeah, if I have the, a good the- idea and it works now, it's going. And... He's doing that for sure because they're blowing through stuff. I mean, we've we've already like seen characters go from you know, even the the Wellick character who's ostensibly the big bad in this season has gone from like is this dude actually a robot to like is his wife like his Marion like Marionette like I it's and and what's up with his sexual perversions? It's really really like just I have no idea where the show is going, nor do I have any idea how you'd keep it going for more than a season.
0: Yeah, I mean, we just it, it it goes so quickly to the to the point where um I am blanking on all the characters' names, but the 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 woman who is in suburgatory who's sort of sassy uh, hack hackstress. Oh and Darlene, when yeah. Da, and when she, yeah, when she's looking for uh her connect, who I guess ends up being the guy who is hawking CDs Mac Miller, in front yeah. of Yeah, basically basically yeah, a, a, a Tor Black Mill, Mac Miller, right? Yeah. Uh, Darknet Mac Miller. Um she gets into the car with guys wearing Halloween masks and they throw their phones out the window. And it gets, It's not a car, it's a limousine. I mean, the, the, the narrative pathways and the lunacy of it. I mean, that is yeah. a crazy thing. And there are moments when the, show, the show's lunacy does founder on the rocks of, not plausibility, but just maybe the limits of our own willingness to accept it. Like, the guy, it's good casting. This guy, Ron Safis Jones, plays one of the hackers. And you may remember him from... Uh, Brody's heroin dealer in the, the really good episode of Homeland Season 3. Remember, there was oh, the yeah. episode yeah. in... Uh, the two
1: towers, right? Whatever it's called. There was
0: the one tower in the sky, and they filmed it in Puerto Rico. I don't remember what it was meant to be. Venezuela or something. It was the unfinished condo that had become filled with squatters. Yeah. And that's where they stashed Brody. <laughs> and, and he's the he one who's
1: keeping it, who's who's like medicating him. The doctor. Yeah,
0: The doctor who had, we were meant to believe or suggested that he had child pornography in his own past and then mm. escaped here and was treating people with drugs he was very menacing like spider-like figure so he's here as this hacker some of the lines he had to say this week were pretty ridiculous on the face of them like they 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 were they were tough lines you know yeah
1: i mean okay look this is the perfect example for people who are like okay so if you want to know what good direction is versus average direction right that scene where they meet the people with the the masks on from the chinese dark the chinese hackers yeah like the symmetry of the shots the lighting of this inside, inside the the, um, in the limousine, the like, even the way that the actors were clearly told to behave, everything yes. about that. If you shoot that in a different way, that's just stupid. If you shoot the fact that Shayla conveniently lives right next door to Elliot, you know, like your drug dealer lives right next door to you. Oh, and those two and doors, you, and yeah. in the, yeah, the two doors, and you know, like everything about the way that they've constructed this version of New York City is lending itself to that hyper-reality that this show yes. is trucking in. And it's just going to be about... I mean, very similarly to, to some of the issues that True Detective has experienced this season, I think that you saw a significant drop-off in yes. the sort of visual rendering of the world in True it, Detective it, for as much as it, I respect a lot of the people who've worked it, on
0: it. It is not a consistent aesthetic vision. And so, yes. the, so, so the, the, the the inconsistencies really pop. Um, and, and that's completely... Absolutely, one of the things that's harpooning True Detective season two because if it was consistently a hyper real world like the first season was, we could we know we're we know we know where, where we exist within a bubble. Yeah, we know where we are. Um, and the other thing about Mister Robot that, I, that I'll say that's kind of exciting, and this is we haven't even gotten into the, you know him him trying to recover from from heroin addiction or morphine opiate addiction in this episode yeah. and and the sort of. Is it a dream? Is it a nightmare? What is actually going on? Who is he talking to? How much of it is real? How much of it isn't? All of those things that we're dealing with. One of the things I really like about the show is that it is, unlike many of the other great dramas that we've been talking about recently that sort of create their own cultural worlds that are in theoretically adjacent to our own yeah so we live uh where we live in this type of society and then tony soprano's mobsters exist over here sure that's happening concurrently but it's over here similarly like carrie matheson and the homeland gang like they're you know theoretically working to help to save our world but they're adjacent they're yeah. they're working in their world same they're, with breaking bad there's like a, it's a new mexico but it's
1: not the new mexico right
0: What's interesting about Mr. Robot is that it is is dealing with an underworld below our own. These are the people who have access to the things that we do do not have access to or are aware of things that we don't have that, that we are not aware of. They are wise to things that we are weirdly um, credulous about. Yeah. We put our information on into the cloud, we pe- type in a password and we go about our day. And these are people to whom those rules and walls do not apply. Yeah. And that is particularly gripping. Um,
1: and they've gotten to a, a second layer of that where like a couple of times but specifically when when Elliot tries to hack Wellick, he's like did I just did he let me hack him? Did he? Did yeah. he set me up basically? And is like my hacking him somehow a hack onto myself? And then he winds up destroying all of his computers and putting all his stuff in a microwave. I mean, yeah, the and, this sort of level. It's basically like an espionage thriller told over computers. But whereas in the past, I think people have used computer cyber terrorism basically to say things like. I've just hacked into the system, and now I'm going to open all the doors. I mean, that's just not – like, that's not what this is.
0: No, and let's also celebrate the show's sense of humor about itself, yeah. which is so important. This week had a line where uh, – well, well, Elliot is sort of detoxing, and the guys were watching – the other, other hackers were watching what I guess was a real movie or TV show. I didn't catch the reference of actually what it was. But they were talking about how probably right now some doofuses in Hollywood are writing a hacking movie, and they're going to – a hacking TV show, and they're getting all the details wrong. Right and that 's a very small gesture, but it matters oh, you know, absolutely. having a sen- it, 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 having a sense of what you 're up to matters and uh, this will be we 're going to keep talking about the show because what we 're praising most of all is is the control right yeah. the way it feels that everything is of a piece, and that seems like the absolute hardest thing to maintain for a show with this level of difficulty going forward
1: so, so. the the shows on Wednesdays, you should definitely binge watch the first four if we haven 't given it all away for you'm yeah. sorry. Uh, Sorry. My bad. Um, Hey, before we move on, let's take a break in today's podcast to talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. It's basically like kayak.com for sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek also has technology called DealScore that calculates what every ticket in the building is worth. Good deals are represented as big green dots on the map, and bad deals are shown as small red dots. So it's easy to see at a glance which tickets will save you the most money. For a limited time only, use promo code HOLLYWOOD in the SeatGeek app or website and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, to redeem your promo code and save $20, use HOLLYWOOD, like the name of our podcast, to save on your first SeatGeek purchase today. Speaking of a sense of control yeah <laughs> uh i don't really want to dwell on true detective that much i thought maybe we could just kind of make fun of it this week i um, yeah you
0: seem to hit a breaking point a little bit
1: well this week. it's not even a breaking point as much as i just thought that that was a waste of an hour yeah um that was just like a lot of people walking around being like it's all connected the girls the the, the railroad the, the hard drives
0: what, what is you, you mentioned this in your once again excellent recap this week we, what uh, Colin Farrell's in, in, interrogation of Rick Springfield where he just lists the four things yeah, that were going on like, and then he hits the table with a billy Shazani
1: blood. human trafficking plastic surgery blah, blah, blah. I'm like alright those Dang. are just words like what does that yeah. mean how is that connected what is what is what is at stake here and why are any of these people with the exception of Vince Vaughn's character invested in the any of what's going on and the crazy thing was was that they had there was a couple of moments last season and i you know compare it's apples and oranges at this point but violent traumatic moments in last season irrevocably changed the trajectory of characters you know they decided this or that had to happen because of what had happened before they just went through what would have been one of like you know the most significant domestic you know shootouts in in american history it seems like i don't, I don't even know i mean like it seems like a lot of cops got murdered and a they're just everybody
0: like everybody got murdered
1: yeah yep 66 days later i'm still the same asshole not you just know? that
0: they're like well the mexicans did it yeah and and i don't even mean that <laughs> in terms of like weird like racial stereotype which or grouping, just, there's plenty of <laughs> yeah. which there is plenty of on this show it's just like to have some curiosity Right. Like, have some curiosity. Right. And what's so strange about this season, there's a lot of things that's strange about this season, it's not – some people – I've heard some people say that it's difficult to keep track of or the drift is – it's just drifting because there are too many main characters. I, I would disagree. There are too many tertiary characters. Every episode has these scenes where people are in rooms with three or four new, basically interchangeable people in suits. There's the, there's the judge yeah, with, who's with Ma- the paternity. Yeah, who's
1: this McCandless guy?
0: There's McCandless, there's another lieutenant, there's another lawyer, there's another reporter, there's another... Vince Vaughn keeps talking about, like, how Stan died. I'm like, who's Stan? None (laughs) of these people matter as people, and so we're losing the few things that we could hold on to. And so that... It's weird being the one defending this in this case, but I thought the scene where, where Ray and Annie meet in the bar... Uh, was a very good, well-written scene because that was a very... Because you love to that sort, sort of songwriter. Well, I want to come back to that. But it <laughs> got down to the sort of primal stuff that I think the show is probably best grounded in, which is we both got jobs. We're out of our jobs. Let's get them back. That's right. fine. That's every movie year. Every Lucky noir. for
1: them, Let- the attorney general became a completely different character and decided to, be- to become Harvey Dent and was like, now I'm going to hire all of you completely unhirable people. Now I need
0: dark knights.
1: And you're all going to be secret investigators because that's totally something that happens. And yeah. you're going to go, like, basically have the protection of the attorney general's office to bring down the, the most recent attorney general.
0: Let's also talk. Can we talk about the bar for a second? Sure. That bar sucks. Why do you go to that bar? Here's know. my question. You Here's miss smoking, my, he, apparently. <laughs> he, here, is a bar, here is what would just show a sign of life, just a sign of creativity or sense of humor. He has no sense of humor, man. Like the, he's he's just it's worse when he tries to be honest. Like some of the jokes are attempted jokes or attempted like. It's, You'd it's, rather you really stuck struggling.
1: with the, the, the this, within the like the, the four walls of mother
0: son relationships. <laughs> here, let's, I'm getting to that. I want to talk about this bar. where like, what if he'd set up a meet where, like, Vin- Frank and Ray set up one of their intense, like, Johnny Walker blue-offs yeah. and accidentally schedules it on the night when the Pogues cover band is playing. You know what I mean? And, like, the whole bar is different. Or what it's if just, they like, just went, went to a whiskey, whiskey, Nancy, Whiskey. Like, yeah. Why is this woman still singing the same song? No wonder the bartender looks so glum. But no
1: again, wonder she can't it. play. She only plays, she plays in that bar. She's only got one song.
0: She's only got one song and one gig. This is, this is the other thing that is – let me try to go macro here. I, I think the, the theme of your recap, which I really appreciated today, was just kind of disappointment because we've said many times that the ideas that are being played with, certainly the actors that are involved, are very appealing to us. We want to see TV shows like this. But what's ultimately really discouraging here is I think there's just a failure on a lot of levels, and one of which may have been a failure to appreciate – I'm saying this as someone who didn't like the first season – the uniqueness of the first season. I know there was pressure to make a second season that became an internet meme, but they needed to hit the brakes they needed to hit the brakes hard and think about how they were going to do the story instead of rushing into production yeah I really I really think that's the case give it a give give the plot a couple go, goings over give give the give the, Give someone a chance to direct all eight episodes find someone who could do it because what we 're playing with here is so sloppy because what we 're left with. In the full in the fullness of time in the fullness of critical perspective, there's something maybe maybe interesting to be said here about what the show is currently doing with paternity or parenthood or responsibility you know so we, we raise complicated relationship with his son mm-hmm. and all of the made-up Oscar, uh, Oscars and Emmys that he'll never win to Colin Farrell for his performance when he finds out what Frank did to him right That was great performance right. That's really kind of interesting. So when we have Frank unable, and his wife unable to conceive and they maybe what it means for them to adopt, we have the and, – and her history of having multiple abortions. And right. then Lolita Davidovich's character is saying you could have been a scrape. Job. There's <laughs> – yeah. job. Long pause. There's something to all of that. Yeah. But there's the,
1: something about the, like, the crime of being born.
0: Yeah. But the absolutely clumsy – way, bumbling way, not even bumbling, just boring, just by the the way that those scenes are playing out is very, very frustrating. The scene between Taylor Kitsch and his mother, between between, uh, uh, Paul and his mother was a was a failure of dramatic writing. It was not. A, it didn't deserve to be. Also, that when scene did we? What is good? this twenty
1: thousand dollars? Like what? Like where does that come from? Like well, why so is he that? Did a there? bad
0: thing in Afghanistan? Yeah, with his obviously. Boys.
1: But like that's being introduced in the fifth episode. That he's left twenty grand in his mom's trailer. Like did he think? Like is here's the thing. Is that like. Everybody in, who's watching that show knows that Colin Farrell killed the wrong guy in the first episode. That didn't right. look like a very convincing piece of evidence that Vince Vaughn gave him.
0: Paul, <laughs> can I, can I like, say one other thing that everyone knew? <laughs> everyone knew that probably wasn't his son. No, I, I know. don't know much about The genetics. red
1: hair was sort of a giveaway. I mean, you keep going on with this. And the thing is, is that I would forgive all this, and I did forgive all this for four or five episodes. And I'm still going to watch the rest of it. I'm still going to write you about do. the rest of it. And I still like it. But the thing that really pissed me off was the earrings. What, what is it? What is it? Who takes pictures of earrings and then puts them in an envelope and sends it with the other? It was just like, oh, we need one more thing to draw this mm-hmm. huge web. It's like earrings, diamond earrings. What about the central rail like corruption and like the environmental poisoning that went on to do it? That's an interesting story. What about this missing girl? She seems pretty interesting. Who killed Ben Casper? That guy with a bird mask is still walking around. Did you guys want to solve that one yet? No, we got to bring in some earrings yeah. because what we need is more like mysterious sh- follow around the central valley it's just like pick four things not eight and solve those and, and then also the you do. just had the battle of gettysburg in downtown los angeles
0: <laughs> <laughs> i know it's too much it's too much and i think what we said in the beginning i think we were giving pits lot too much credit for it because i think you and i both said it's possible right It's possible that the smart way that he chose to respond to the expectation game, the impossible expectations of season one, was to take it all down. Take it all down numerous notches and tell a much more humble story, and you've been very persuasive in this in your writing, about failures, right? The problem is he didn't simplify it. That's not what he did at all. No, he, what made, you it, sense he made it here complicated. is complicated. He, he had the four things that he wanted to do, maybe the one thing he wanted to do, and it didn't feel maybe worthy of HBO's munificence or of our attention, and he made it four times as complicated. Yeah. And that's frustrating. That's frustrating, yeah. that's frustrating as, as a viewer. It's just it's not worth all of this, and that's not a feeling you should be having in episode four or five. You know, I, I spoke to someone earlier today um, who is sticking with it and is being more positive about it and is taking what I think to be the healthiest, healthiest uh, tack in whatever age of TV we're in now, which is, well, you know, sometimes the on-ramps are long, and when you get where you're going, it's suddenly worth it. Well, okay, but I think that we're banking on that maybe to too certainly HBO is banking on that to too great a degree, because historically the thing about TV has never been the destination, it's the journey, and if the journey isn't enjoyable, if the journey isn't worth it, then it you kind of failed, yeah, so it, it doesn't the nonsense doesn 't matter there should be some sense of wit or, or mystery or, or fun, and the bird mask was good, <laughs> the, driving in the, driving through Sonoma or wherever they were at that point, and seeing Jesus carrying a cross down the side of the street more of that more of that yeah, go why back to that on, go back to the new
1: age retreat, do whatever why, you got to do
0: why isn 't that stuff more prominent on the margins right. to help us to ground ourselves in weirdness, to expect weirdness, and I guess that, that is a directorial thing like they needed a director who's going to be able to link it all together because you know if someone came in and as you, you alluded to it I don't I'm not even sure who directed last night so I didn't even pay enough attention but yeah but the very 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 talented tv directors who they've had in the roster for this season one of the hallmarks of being a very good and talented and in-demand tv director is that you don't jump on someone else's show five hours in and add christ walking down the side of the road sure because it's not consistent with the work everyone else is doing and you don't step on toes so that's a problem with a show like this it exposes the faults
1: all right well i actually think that this is this is a good place to pivot to ant-man because what we're talking about is keeping things simple or keeping things complicated and it was weird we probably have both been thinking or said to each other a couple of times over the last few years when watching some of these superhero 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 films or comic book movies boy i wish they would just like make one of these like 90 minutes and just tell one story and not worry yep. about like origins or saving the world or whatever. And then they did and it's okay. It's okay. It's so I okay. guess that's what, that's the problem with that is that that's, that's y- you, you want people to come out of these movies being like, God, whatever, like bl- blow up the world again, or yep. I loved it, but coming out and be like, that ah, Michael Peña was pretty good.
0: That's a problem. But here's why it's a problem. Because we, we're, we're talking about Ant-Man as being more simple. And it is. And more direct. And yeah. more streamlined. But it's still too many things at once. And the too many things that really are in collision with each other, I think, is that it is a superhero action movie in the year 2015. And it wants to be a charming, low-key heist movie. Yeah. I love charming, low-key heist movies. Right. Sneakers... Top five movies for me of all time. I love that movie. I like I like any heist movie. You yeah, know, where you got to get the gang together. You got to get the thing. It doesn't matter what the thing. It is. has this. The, it's it's you Magal. can tell it
1: has the verve. It wants to have like the Soderberghy like kicky. How do you oceans. tell stories and how heists are kind of a story? You know, like and all. It, I get it. I get but, what they were going for,
0: but it still had to run along the track. It, it, for a, you know, you had to have the origin story and you had to have the magic suit and you had to explain the rules and you had to have the kind of you have to girlfriend. have a 10-minute
1: attempt to get inside the Avengers building.
0: You kind of had to have an Avengers story. And God bless Peyton Reed, by the way, for in his interviews, the director, for selling that in a way that I completely don't believe. He's basically saying that he and Adam McKay, who came on to the project after Edgar Wright left, that they added that. He admitted they added that scene. But he said they added it because they were, they were riffing on, like, what a heist movies always have. They have the trial run that fails the one last thing you need. Yeah. True. They do all have that. Clearly, one of the reasons Edgar Wright left the movie is because Marvel was like, "This needs to be tied into the Avengers." So, how are you going to do that? And he's like, "That's not what I do." Okay, peace. Well, he's also probably so like, like, "I want
1: to make a ninety-minute movie," and they were like, "Well, you can make a two-hour movie and have Black Falcon
0: in there." Yeah, it, I got a. It's it's just Falcon. There is no White Falcon. I I I I got to tell you, like I it's not like called you,
1: Black Falcon. You, no, <laughs> no.
0: Did I make that up? Yes. <laughs> well, No. There, there's a long tradition in DC. There's like a lot of like Black Lightning characters. Okay. But Am I just thinking Falcon. Black Panther or is it just Panther? Yes, you're just... No, it's Black Panther. All right, my bad. <laughs> I, I just want to, like, check you on that. Just, I can't I just tell wanna... if that
1: was mildly racist. I mean, it's
0: accurate, you know. I, I don't think you're wrong, but uh, I am the I'm apparently the comic book ombudsman on this show. Okay, but, but yeah, they, but like yeah, you can have you can have Anthony Mackie come in and do Falcon, and we can link can it. Can you in imagine it, if
1: there was a white Falcon? That's what I'm saying. He's like, when's white, my
0: movie? White, white Falcon is a member, right? He's just like, he's
1: I think White like Falcon is what I saw at the Magic Castle.
0: White Falcon is what you saw at the Magic Castle. White Falcon has weirdly fallen out of favor in the 21st Weird. century. <laughs> Can you imagine? What about white um, Hawkeye? <laughs> what about, like, white Captain America? I mean, there's that, like If all Renner these...
1: really wanted out of this whole franchise, he should yeah. insist
0: that from be now on white. he is identified <laughs> as white Hawkeye. And what if his reasoning, when he walks into Kevin Feige's, he's like, you got Mackie everywhere as Black Falcon. And they're like, how'd you hear that? He's like, I don't read the scripts. I listen to Chris Ryan. That's right. My Only Chris one Ryan. Fan. I turn
1: off Andy Greenwald
0: on my right channel. <laughs> I, I mute the channels. It was too much in there. And the one thing that I think Edgar Wright had going for him, and I don't even want to sound like one of the guys who's like, Edgar Wright can do no wrong, because he can do plenty of wrong. (laughs) All those guys. But (laughs) – those guys. But the thing that he is known for that he's so good at, that made Scott Pilgrim good, that made, um, you know, Shaun of the Dead good, Hot Fuzz, all of his movies, is the, the visual wit and style and verve and rhythm and the way they play. Yeah. And his joy in, in just making mundane things seem snappy and jazzy Direction. and fun. Direction. Yeah. And this movie, for the things that it did right, and it did a bunch of things right, lacked that completely. So that it made turning small seem weirdly kind of boring and CGI, which I think was the opposite yeah. reason to do it. That, that was my main problem with it. I liked. I said this to you after I saw it. Like, if you told me there was a heist movie with Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas and T.I. and Wood Harris and Michael Pena, even Evangeline Lilly. I like Evangeline Lilly. Yeah, Wood Harris, man. Judy Greer, Bobby Cannavale. I'm like... I'm going to see that movie. They've
1: got Avon Barksdale running into rooms being like, he's escaped. I know.
0: And then they, they, they gave him one line at the end. They gave him one line when a giant ant runs out of a house. I don't remember what it was.
1: Whatever is truly, he is the Black
0: Falcon. Can we talk? He, he's just, ah, just soaring over all of us. Can we talk <laughs> about Bobby Cannavale's agent? Because he seems like, Bobby Cannavale seems like a solid dude. He's have working ever gone? On, have you gone on his Instagram account ever? No, is it just, just, just pictures like, of Rose Byrne hanging out? It's like pictures of him and Rose Byrne like at a word show being like going to see the Springsteen show tonight with my most the most beautiful girl in the world and I'm like accurate your life seems terrific you seem like a great guy but I feel like someone should tell him Bobby like your Q rating is up there like you could maybe be maybe not an avenger but you know you know what I'm saying like like you could maybe be the white panther is what I'm saying <laughs> like you could get in the door if Marvel calls you you don't have to be like the romantic rival in the Z-list movie that they're making yeah. next, next summer. I
1: you think Greer, Greer and Convalli kind, of like, kind of undersold themselves in this situation. They were a little too thirsty to get into a Marvel movie. And they were just like, well, whatever, whatever sure, you it's, need.
0: <laughs> it's fine. I'll tell Paul Rudd that I need him to be the superhero his daughter thinks he is. Yeah. And then be like, and Paul Rudd would be like, am I? I don't know. I mean, what, did, you think, what movie do you think Michael Douglas thought he was in?
1: uh i think he did like you know not behind the candelabra. so i think i mean like he no he was he
0: was good he was he was angry i like that someone definitely told him going into it they sold him on it being like well you're a brilliant scientist and he's like done it you know you're a you're a father figure been there and they were like well here's the thing about hank pym he's kind of a rage monster who in the comic (laughs) books is vilified because in a serious comic book panel from like the late 60s he punched his wife in the face it did, is that what centered cool into the quantum do. realm or in, in the comics? Basically. And so he definitely was like, oh, I can dig my actorly teeth into that. So he thought he was playing that part. I would
1: like to get the B-roll where they uh, explain the quantum realm to Michael Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> and you just keep so you getting can... smaller and smaller. And if you get to the far end, Benedict Cumberbatch is there. <laughs> what are they That's talking about?
0: That's definitely what they told him. Yeah, I mean, Pena, Pena you, you had him on the show. You sat with him in that room. He got his. MVP yeah he had fun right What it's sixth man of the year right there ti underserved maybe or maybe perfectly served <laughs> like, like do you think he was served. capable of carrying more of that movie yeah yeah
1: yeah i don't i don't know i think he he definitely was like when that see where ti takes the license plate off the car and then it's just like <laughs> <Yeah, you laughs> really scooby that one uh yeah that's it thumbs that's thumbs Midland. yeah
0: Thumbs middling. It was fine. It was definitely... If the goal was... And this is actually how it was described by Kevin Feige the other day in an interview, or Hollywood reporter. He's like, this is the end of Marvel's Phase 2 because it's a palate cleanser. It is like, a I'm cleanser. Sure, but I'm sure the people who spent you know, a year and a half making this movie are like, he just compared us to Granita. Right. Like, we, are, we are like some, some shaved ice that you have between the serious <laughs> right. movies. Right. Um, that's, that's, that's a kind of a bummer. It's just... I, I wish... I know this is ridiculous, and I know we're now going to say this three times a year when we see these movies and talk about them, but you know there's the scene where Evangeline Lilly and Michael Douglas are like, oh, my God, you're telling me the truth about how my mother's a yes. hero, and she's, she's vanished into, like, some trippy thing that only Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be able to figure out She's living inside someone's
1: vacuum bag, yeah. It's,
0: I mean, can you even conceive of this, and you're my father, and you're my daughter, and oh, my God, we love each other. And then Paul Rudd comes in, and he's like, did I ruin the moment? <laughs> like, I wish once one of these movies would be like, that's deep like that's heavy yeah. someone died but isn't dead and is right. flying inside of the head of a screw on a nuclear missile at the bottom of the pacific ocean and is maybe alive let that breathe for a minute like we don't always need to be jokes like i just said things should be funny. maybe it's and just that it's like they funny. know
1: that that is stupid
0: and i appreciate that <laughs> I deeply appreciate that. That's why I was ragging on the DC movies last week, right? Because they, they don't, don't think get, it's stupid. They're just like,
1: yeah, this is like nine eleven, man. But this, <laughs> yeah,
0: don't you, don't you laugh about that white falcon? <laughs> <laughs> like, this this oh. white bald eagle flies for all of us, <laughs> Team America, Team Batman, White v Batman, <laughs> White Batman. <laughs> White Batman v. White Superman, Dawn of White Justice. Goodbye. That's going to be a great movie. Are we nitpicking? Yes. Yes. We are. They're all because let's really talk about how these movies. Let's talk about magic and how it's real. I'll let everybody go. I'll let you go. We'll go back to magic. But I, I just realized we're talking about this in serious filmmaking terms. And you read the interviews, not just with our man Renner, but you read the interviews with Paul Rudd about this. And it's summer camp, man. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're in summer camp, and he's like the, t- the Hollywood Reporter guy asked Paul Rudd, "Have you have you filmed your scenes for Captain America: Civil War yet?" And he's like, "Yeah, I was there for two weeks last month. It was great. There was Captain America. It was fun. Right? It's fun. That
1: same it's with fun the env- for them. Evangeline, Like there was a thing in the beginning of this where like right, I think before." Maybe right after Avengers came out, whenever Chris Evans was like, I need to be, like, I need to be set free from the chains of my nine-film yes. servitude. He, he and I was like, like, oh, maybe this won't out. work because people are going to be like, I don't want to do this for 20 years. And then you get to this point where it's clearly going to just be an industry for another decade. And Evangeline Lilly's like, anytime, anywhere. You just but let me if, know. Because I can fund all my children's books by just playing the watch." Seriously?
0: Yeah. Do you think <laughs> the, the Whiff and Poof Volume 3 or whatever <laughs> yeah. is coming out this fall? Sorry, no disrespect. She really did write children's books. (laughs) Children's books are important. Also, I like Evangeline Lily. I always have. Um, White Evangeline (laughs) Lily, the the White Kate from White Lost. Why
1: hasn't anybody made Black Lost yet? Can
0: you imagine White Lost when they were like White Waltz? I guess it does really flow. Here's <laughs> my other Walt. question. Here's here's the thing that you can yeah, never. No, I was because... thinking this the other
1: because of the the button scene. I'm sorry to interrupt your overarching theory of comic books, but yeah, the the button scene that happens at the end. Like, how is a rapper not named a mixtape the Winter Soldier? Mm.
0: That's insane to me. <laughs> I would I know.
1: definitely start a rap career tomorrow as White Walt, and my first record would be called the Winter Soldier.
0: <laughs> you would definitely definitely go Wood in the Hood, um, not Wood Harris. Here, here's, my, here's my thought. Let me, let me just go kind of meta on this. We, we we keep talking about these movies in a weird way because we keep saying, like, why can't this one be unique yeah, yeah. and be great art or have a directorial vision? That ship sailed. That's not happening, okay? I'm trying to think Maybe, which one we're
1: kind of, like, thinking we're comparing it to.
0: Well, they were all pretty good, and they were yeah. all pretty entertaining, and we're sort of getting a little tired. We're chafing against the pretty goodness of all of them Yeah. the sort of wink-wink laughing of all of them, which is a which is definitely what DC we're also is trying getting to counterbalance. We're also super old. But... One thing that – just to make this meta, the policy that our old boss talked about when he started Granlin, right, was that there was going to be a no uh, can I, I'm gonna, a no assholes policy, I right? cursed
1: like three times today, right? That's true.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think that's pretty much held true. Like we, we obviously have been friends for a long time, but we really like the people we work with, and I think that's improved the product that we've made. Sure. And I wonder if there is an element, this, and this would be actually kind of revolutionary in Hollywood, so it, therefore it's probably not true. But what if Kevin Feige's policy really is, I'm just going to hire pretty okay people? Because there are a lot of assholes who are actors, sure. and a lot of assholes who are famous actors who can get people into the multiplex. What if he is just literally hiring, like, it, what if he's paying Robert Downey Jr. $50 million just to be the, you know, the, the camp counselor? And just to be like, come hang out. Well I'll I'll get Steely Dan to play the the rap party and everyone I think were that, hiring like no Paul that. there Rudd would is not like, be they're they're a problem guys. with
1: any of that if you didn't feel like these movies were the things that were taking up all the sunlight of culture. Yeah.
0: And of yes, I totally agree. And that this
1: was the primary way that we're like experiencing the cinematic world is through like capes. That's yeah, a, which is in- increasingly becoming... So I have no I've no like, like hostility towards the endeavor and I think some of these movies are pretty good but you know, I I think that there should be room for others. That being said, yeah, You know, this whole middle class of movies that were lamenting disappearing, Ant-Man is pretty much, like, one of those. And that's a very similar experience to what I used to have in the 90s when you'd go see, like, a pretty okay thriller. And you'd be like, that was okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, the last one I can think of, remember that movie Red Eye? Yes. With, with Killian Murphy and Rachel McAdams? Yeah. And it was, like, good because it was 89 minutes long and they were good actors and it was fine? Absolutely. Like, I, I miss movies like that and that is... When we talk about the great loss, middle, we're not talking about like, oh, we're not getting another big chiller broadcast news. No, we're, we're talking there about enough. there's
1: not like a, you know, Pacific Heights, yeah, you know, or whatever.
0: Yeah, there's a Pacific right. Rim instead. White Andy, <laughs> thanks, White Chris. This was a good show. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> great job, White Baranski. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes or. Go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.